Darren, my brother Darren Early is going to preach for us this morning. He and his family have been at Grace for a number of years now. He's husband to Sonia, uh, father to Micah, Mariah, Melody, Malia, and Mishael. I hope I said all five of those correctly. He's the director of Loyola Marymount University Family of Schools. He has been for 10 years. Before that, he taught in the classroom, did school administration. Darren, do you have any puppeteering experience in any of your education? Very little. Okay. Well, it's, it's not called for this morning. He's a dear brother. I love. He loves Jesus. He loves the church. And he's going to take us to Psalm 15 this morning. So grab your Bibles. Here we go. Wow, how do you follow Mr. Banana? That's good stuff, man. I look forward to that every week. Um, good morning, Grace. Good morning, Grace. Um, pleasure to be here. Thank you, Kenny, elders, for allowing me to stand in this space this morning. Um, Psalm 15. Let's just start by reading it, and then we'll jump into our time together. Psalm 15 begins with, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Again, good morning, Grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. As we know, we need you every hour. And Lord, even as I would stand before your people, I am reminded that I need you. So I just ask that, Lord, that you would be glorified and that we would be edified as we would walk through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I'm both excited and a bit nervous as I stand before you this morning. My excitement is always rooted in the opportunity that I've been given to proclaim the word of God to the people of God. But the nerves, that's a different story. They're, they're kind of consistent with some advice I was given by a friend years ago. He said, if you get up to proclaim God's word and you're not a little bit nervous, you need to sit down because you're about to make a fool of yourself. So uh, I'm a little bit nervous, so I'm trusting that we're okay. Anyway, today's psalm is one that I fell in love with years ago. Those who know me, they know that relationships are really important to me. And when I first read this psalm, after coming to faith in Christ, it seemed like this psalm addressed the primary question about my relationship with the Lord. I really wanted to know, Lord, Father, who gets to hang out with you? Who gets to hang out with God? Psalm 15 is a short, succinct, highly impactful song, and the nature of its content compels anyone with, with even a modicum of love for God to say, I want to be this type of believer. For years I read and I thought I clearly understood his message. But by God's grace, over time I went from just liking it and being familiar with Psalm 15 to studying and thinking more intentionally about the role of Jesus Christ within the psalm. Last Sunday, Jackson, my brother, he preached Psalm 13 and he mentioned that it, like many other psalms, is a psalm of lament. In the lament of Psalm 13, the author prays for God's deliverance as everything around him seems to be going wrong. The psalmist wonders how long will he have to deal with what he is facing and finds himself asking God to answer him in his distress. Psalm 13, however, closes with a powerful reminder of God's faithfulness. 
Psalm 15, however, is a different type of song. It's actually classified as a didactic poem. And what that means is that it's intended to teach an enduring truth that if we understand this truth correctly, it'll provide significant encouragement to us as believers. The tricky part about Psalm 15 is that if we misunderstand what it's saying, we can potentially become discouraged, feel overwhelmed, or even embark unknowingly on a mission to establish our own righteousness. This is the tension that I experienced and although I loved the psalm, I saw it as a mirror reflecting what I needed to do versus seeing it as a window showing me what Jesus had already done. Some of you may remember those metaphors that, that were shared in the sermon prep from this week. So if we kind of jump into a background of Psalm 15, in order to understand Psalm 15, it may be easier for the reader to think about it in, as five sections as opposed to five verses. Section one would be a set of questions that flow forth from the heart of a, one who desires God. Section two speaks to the actions of this sojourner dweller, and we'll, you'll hear that term a lot, the sojourner dweller. Section three targets the interactions of this sojourner dweller. Section four, the values of this sojourner dweller. And section five is about our, is about our ultimate hope. Yes, um, our God uses an economy of words throughout Scripture. And even in this small little passage, he has packed a truckload of truth, a truckload of information. However, what I find really poetic, no pun intended, is the fact that this psalm, it opens with the writer essentially asking what type of person, as I said earlier, gets to hang out with the Most High. But the wild part, too, is that this psalm is sandwiched between Psalm 14 that basically calls out man for being foolish and corrupt and an evildoer. And then Psalm 16, where the writer with a glad heart is praising God as his refuge, his chosen portion, his counselor, and his stability. I don't believe it's an accident that these three Psalms are together. And in them, Psalm 14 gives us a picture of man's sinfulness. Psalm 15 provides a picture of God's righteous requirement. And then in Psalm 16, we are provided with what seems to be the perspective of one who, is who has been redeemed and has a thankful heart. Although I'm going to encourage you to go back and read the other two, Psalm 14 and 16, for context, today, for the sake of expediency, we're only going to consider the middle of this psalm sandwich, Psalm 15. <clears throat> I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, wow, I need to give the spoiler alert. All right. The spoiler alert is just this. Although Psalm 15 can be read as an encouragement and a signpost of the character we desire to display as believers. And this is a good thing. This psalm does not merely describe the aspirational behavior for those of us in the body of Christ. It doesn't merely, as Kenny said a few minutes ago, describe how man should live quorum Deo before the face of God. As I mentioned earlier, upon close reading and study, Psalm 15 teaches us about the person and the redemptive work of Christ on our behalf. This, my brothers and sisters, in this psalm, we can't miss. This psalm articulates a level of righteous living that for the believer and the unbeliever is unattainable in our own strength. However, for the, unbelievable, for, for the unbeliever, this song is essentially a declaration of condemnation because he or she is unable to meet God's standard. But for the believer... This song is an encouragement, knowing that Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has met God's righteous standard and credited his work to the accounts of those who believe. 
Consequently, we who have trusted in, the, in, in Christ are neither condemned by the psalm nor discouraged by the psalm. Instead, through the hope of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and because of the love that God has placed in our hearts, this psalm motivates, it inspires, and it increases our desire to pursue the life or to pursue our lives in a manner as described in Psalm 15. I know that's a lot. It's a lot for me, but uh, let's jump into Psalm 15 and see what the Lord has to say to us. Verse 1, section 1, the questions. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? This verse is the foundational verse of the psalm, and it addresses the foundational truth of our faith. Almost in a, in, in a question can be summarized as, what does God require of man? The two questions in this verse, they may seem redundant, but actually they are distinctly different. The first question asks, who can sojourn in the tent? While the second question asks, who can dwell in the holy hill? The word translated sojourner implies a temporary condition whereas the word translated dwell signifies a permanent state. I guess the best model I could come up with to kind of exemplify this contrast is kind of family interactions during the pandemic. Before the pandemic and imposed quarantines, many of us had folks in our life that we spent time with temporarily, either at work or school or sports teams or part of our ministries or organizations. We don't live with these folks, but we're in relationship with them and spend significant time with them in the comings and goings of our daily living. At the same time, we have our family, who we are, in, who we are also in relationship with, but who we permanently live with, who we dwell with. Typically, we sojourn with friends, colleagues, and teammates, and we dwell with immediate family and the members of our household. However, as a result of the pandemic and a quarantine, we, found that we find ourselves both sojourning and dwelling with the members of our immediate family. They are in our temporary space and they are in our quote unquote permanent space. In these questions, asking verse one, David seems to give a glimpse of his understanding that there is a temporary right now relationship with God on earth coupled with an eternal, though not yet, fullness of that relationship we will experience in the future. One author paraphrased these questions of the, the, the questions of this verse like this. He said, Yahweh, who may spend time daily with you and who may live eternally on the mountaintop with you? With God, sojourning and dwelling are not two different things. They are two sides of the same coin. We cannot have one without the other. As believers, we want both. And because of Christ, we have both. And we must recognize that our daily walk of faith is inseparable from our heavenly hope. Again, our daily walk of faith cannot be separated from our heavenly hope. We jump into verse 2 and we see the actions of this sojourner dweller. It says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Walks blamelessly is a picture of one, is a picture of displaying complete or perfect integrity. When I saw that, I just had to pause. I was like, whoa, not me. Complete and perfect integrity. We talk about having integrity, but I think we talk about it because it's not a standard. We don't talk about our breathing all the time because breathing is a standard. But here we see this, this, this sojourner dweller walks blamelessly. 
He also does what is, he also does what is right meaning that he systematically and habitually does what is naturally, morally, and legally right. Another aha moment for me. And then it says he speaks the truth in his heart, that his thoughts are ethical, that his thoughts are faithful, and his thoughts are true, always. Saints, let this marinate for a minute. Charles Spurgeon says the one spoken of here in Psalm 15, verse 2, he, they, he says he walks upright and is downright honest. Not sometimes, not most of the time, but all of the time. This is God's standard for sojourning and dwelling with him. I don't know about you, but for Darren Craig Early, this is the target where I definitely miss the bullseye. Jump into verse 3. Verse 3 speaks to the interactions of this sojourner dweller and how they interact with other people. It says, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. I had to look up what it meant to slander because I always get confused with slander and libel. And when you hear that in legal settings, and libel is kind of the stuff that's written down, and slander is the kind of stuff that goes out of your mouth. But the funny part about, well, not funny, ha-ha, but the wild part about Slander, as I see this word in scripture, it's not just that I'm talking bad about somebody. It's that I'm talking bad about somebody as I'm moving from space to space. It's almost like I'm carrying bad news about somebody. But the, the sojourner dweller doesn't do this. The sojourner dweller does not do bad things to his friends or his companions. As a matter of fact, the sojourner dweller doesn't even speak to them in a tone that is indicative of reprimand or disapproval. Or disapproval. The Proverbs say a soft, answer, a soft answer turns away wrath. This guy in Psalm 15 has mastered, mastered the art of the soft answer. As I was once told by one of my graduate school professors, leaders, true leaders, they know how to stay cool in hot places. By myself, I can probably do that. But when you put me in a room of other people, when you put me in a situation with my family, when you put me in a situation where it can be a little bit more complicated, I'm not always as cool. The one who is able to sojourn in the tabernacle of God and dwell on God's holy hill has figured out how to love others in a 1 Corinthian type of way. 1 Corinthians 13 type of way with patience and kindness and long suffering the sojourner dweller. In, in verse 4 it says, for this, sojourner, for this sojourner dweller, this is one who, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. The first part of verse 4 is a beautiful picture of what it means to have godly affections. He who is able to sojourn and dwell hates what God hates and loves what God loves. In brutal honesty, we must ask ourselves, who and what is it that we despise? And who and what are the things that we honor? Saints, we need to level up, and we need to see if our perspective on things in life aligns with God's perspective on the same thing. As I was writing and reading and thinking about this, I had to think about social media, and the question that jumped in my mind was, do we consider the implications of what we post, what we like, what we tweet, what we retweet? Are they consistent with God's perspectives? Or do we just say, I agree with that, like. 
I agree with that retweet. That's a challenge, saints. And as I've matured over the years, I often find myself not asking what would Jesus do because this psalm has showed me I can't meet that mark. I ask myself and I consider my judgment, my ideologies, and my perspectives. And then I ask myself again, what is the biblical basis for my thinking about a matter? Is it just what I think is right or do I have a biblical basis for sitting there? And although asking myself this question may not directly resolve the dilemma of conscience that I'm facing, it typically will get me headed in the right direction towards a God-centered and God-focused perspective on something. And then we get to Mr. Banana, verse 4b. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Yeah, Mr. Banana, I struggled with that too. Total transparency. Jackson, last week when you were up here talking about the stuff with the pets and the dogs and the cats and stuff, I sat next to my wife and she didn't look at me. Thank you, Sonia. I love you. But I cringed because her message to Darren for 30 years has been keep your word. I am a guy that overcommits. I'm getting better, but for me, it's still a problem. And as a result, way too often, I have something scheduled, and then I have to reschedule or change the plan. Although I love this psalm, this verse about swearing to your own hurt and changing not is devastatingly convicting. With good intentions, yet to no avail, I try to wiggle around this truth. But every now and then, God will cause, me to see the, will cause me to see the intensity of this truth through the book of Judges, where Jephthah promised to sacrifice the first thing that comes out of his house if God gave him victory. God gave him victory. And the first thing that came out of his house was his daughter, his only child. As a father of five, I shudder at this thought. But Jephthah, he kept his vow. Here is where I'm like convinced in that, that any of my excuses for not keeping my word, any and all of my reasons for wanting to give Jephthah a free pass just so I can give myself a free pass, it shows that I am tone deaf in this area of swearing to my own hurt. I have growth to do. I have, and and, and so, so it is aspirational. But if that's the ticket that allows me, that gets me to the place to where I can dwell and sojourn, saints, I'm coming up short. God expects us to keep our word in business, in our marriages, in the social contracts of society, keep our word to our children, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. God expects us to keep our word in everything. So then, this is a small little song packed with all this truth. We get to 5a, the first part of um, verse 5. It says, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Very simply, 5A talks about this sojourner dweller having a godly approach to finances, whereas people are prioritized over profit. And it's funny that when we look at that little part that says, does not take a bribe against the innocent, we can think about Judas and Jesus. But that's just a side note. As I read this psalm and I see, like, who is this person and all these expectations and various different things that God says, I reflect on the questions of, who can sojourn and who can dwell with God? I feel like I'm standing in the scene of Revelation 5 where John writes, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of one sitting on the throne. The scroll had, the scroll had writing on both sides and was kept closed with seven seals. 
and I saw a powerful angel who called in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But there was no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who could open the scroll or look inside it. I cried and cried because there was no one who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. But one of the elders said to me, don't cry. The lion from the tribe of Judah has won the victory. He is, he is David's descendant. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And this lion of the tribe of Judah, he is able to sojourn in God's tent. He is able to dwell in the holy hill. He is able to satisfy the demands of God. This lion of the tribe of Judah, Christ alone, has secured eternity on our behalf. So what does this mean? I'll close by way of an anecdote. <laughs> kind of long, but it's an anecdote. On September 1st coming up, my wife Sonia and I will have been happily married for 30 years. Yeah, she put up with this for 30 years. As I reflect on our years together, I'm reminded of God's grace in our lives, what he has taught us, and even some of the traditions he's allowed us to establish. One such tradition is that our family does not do Christmas trees. Wait for it. I know everybody's like, what's going on? This often comes as a surprise to many of our friends. Nevertheless, our tradition has been to have a cross instead. Years ago, we, maybe it was just me making a unilateral decision and Sonia just kind of loving me and, you know, for the ride, but we went to, I went to Home Depot and got a four by four, eight foot post. I cut it up five feet one way, three feet the other way. I notched it out and I built a cross. The funny part is that I've built a few over the years, and recently during the COVID-19 um, cleaning spree, I realized that I had not one but two of them. Anyway, over the years, as I've built and rebuilt these crosses, I realized that the most important part of the cross is the base that is directly connected to the vertical beam. When the base is level, centered, and firmly connected, it doesn't matter if the cross beam is a bit misaligned or if there's too much weight from the lights or the nativity scene. The horizontal bar or in the case of this psalm, the horizontal relationships with our brothers and sisters and the things that we do on earth in this temporal plane are supported, substantiated, and established by the base and the strength of the vertical relationship we have with the Father through Jesus Christ, the anointed one of God. Brothers and sisters, our only hope to actualize the words of this psalm is the hope that we have in our Lord who has given us what we need and is at work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Psalm 15 closes with an encouragement, but I want, us to point, I want to point us to Matthew 4 first. In Matthew 4, we read the words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At the beginning of his ministry, this was our Savior's clarion call to those people of his day living in Galilee. This morning, I am heralding a different call of repentance to us, the people of God, the people of God in La Mirada, the people of God in California, in the United States, and across the world. My friends, there's a lot going on in our world. There's strife. There's division in the body. Selfishness, fear, racism, sickness, unrest, injustice, poverty, you name it. Nevertheless, in the midst of these times, Psalm 15 is calling us to be our best selves. However, in order to be our best selves, we must repent from thinking that we can become our best selves in our own strength. 
We must repent of a mindset that we are capable of glorifying God on our own, that we are capable of loving and serving one another on our own, that we are capable of addressing these challenges apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, this morning, my hope is that we leave here today with a renewed passion to lean into Christ. Lean into Christ that we might develop a greater dependence on him. Lean into Christ that we might trust him to equip us to provide to equip us and provide the courage that we need to share the gospel with others. Lean into Christ that we might respond appropriately to the grace and mercy we have received. Lean into Christ that we might rejoice in the fact that because of him, we are able to sojourn with the Lord daily and pursue the godly living as expressed in Psalm 15. But as we fall short, we can rest assured that we will dwell with him eternally in Christ and never be moved. So we go back to the beginning of the psalm, those questions. Oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? And I'll add, who shall never be moved? Darren early prayer phrase, who gets to hang out with God both now and in eternity? The answer, those of us who have placed our trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My friends, Jesus is alive and all that God demands, he has, he has fully procured, fully secured, and fully done on our behalf. Amen.